You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, we were also welcoming back uh, an old friend of Regent College, a friend who's been on the podcast before, Dr. Charles Ringmer, who was appointed Professor of Missions and Evangelism at Regent College and he, uh, in 1997, and he continued until he became Professor Emeritus in 2005. He's an Aussie, but he's kind of lived all over the place. He's um, he's a migrant kid, and then he's and he'll hear more of his story there. And we were talking with him, and he's lived in different parts of Asia, in different parts of the United States, working with all sorts of different people around the world. And um, has also been a professor, and he does this thing called pub theology, which you'll or t- theology on tap tap that we'll, he talks about at the end. But we were talking with him about this topic of migration and how do we understand migration and movement, either chosen migration. Um, we didn't go as much into the forced migration side of things, although he does talk a little bit about that. And then talking about how healing prayer is a part of this process of, of the the journey of migration. Yeah, Charles, he has a rich history of walking with people and praying with people. And uh, his book is entitled The Art of Healing Prayer for a reason, as you'll see, because it, it is an art. And, and, um, and his thoughts on migration as well are, are wonderful. Even the articulation of seeing God as a migrant was kind of eye-opening for me. I never thought about that before. So it was a beautiful conversation. Mm. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Charles Ringmer. Charles, welcome back. Welcome back to the Regent College podcast. Thank you. We're, we're glad to have you back. Um, we've, As you said, we've been digging into some of the things you've been writing and so we thought we'd get you to talk about some of the things that you've written. And, you know, you've, you've written and spoken a lot about migration and, you know, people go through migration for many reasons, you know, some forcibly, you know, which in 2021, if we look back, 89, 89 million refugees, you know, and then there's others who choose to migrate. And so there's lots we could talk about. But do you want to tell us, why don't we start with kind of the sort of psychological impact of migration? I guess the place to start for me would be that uh, that I'm I'm a migrant kid. Mm. So uh, I was ten years old when my parents migrated from the Netherlands uh, to Australia. So sort of part of the post-war uh, migration out of uh, Europe, and um, and so that was incredibly um, formative for me. So so I always see myself basically as a migrant kid. Mm. And um, so beyond that, um, uh, fairly early in the piece, um, so say in my uh, late teens, early 20s, um, I, um, I, I worked with Indigenous folk in uh, Western Australia. And then somewhat later, I worked with um, uh, gangs in the Bronx in the, in the USA, mm. with flower power people in um, San Francisco, uh, with hippies up in North Queensland, and um, and then after that again worked both in the Philippines and in Myanmar, and then have also spent it, uh, in a period of time in Canada. So um, so what that has meant is that that I've been involved in um, many many transitions, 
mm-hmm. uh, moving uh, to different countries and also being involved with with different subcultural groups, uh, I guess, within uh, various societies. And what that what that does is that first of all, it's an incredibly a denuding kind of an experience because because what you are and what you know in a particular cultural context, if you then move to a totally different um, situation, totally different uh, setting, where you have to completely relearn everything, mm-hmm. um, it, it sort of uh, it, it it leaves you incredibly uh, vulnerable. Um, you feel like you almost have to um, rediscover uh, life all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so what happens is, is that you then end up in, in this very, very interesting um, notion of liminality uh, that many uh, cultural anthropologists and psychologists have spoken about. And the big issue there, I think, uh, is that... Um, that you kind of first go uh, through a kind of an experience after you've settled into a particular a new cultural setting um, that you uh, feel that you belong to neither. Yeah. And you have this, this, this psychological sense of being uh, in between, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a Dutchie and I'm, I'm not yet an Australian. Mm. Or I'm a, I'm a white a Western person, and I'm certainly not an, an Indigenous uh, Australian person, mm. uh, etc. Or I'm, I'm not a Filipino, or whatever. And uh, and that's a very very uh, vulnerable place, a very fascinating place to be, mm. uh, because you feel actually quite lost, completely lost. Mm. I'm not this, and I'm not that. So what the heck am I? You know, that's mm. that's the kind of stuff that goes on. Um, inside you and then the resolution uh, that comes over uh, usually a much longer period of time is that you come to this notion no I'm not in between but I'm in both right Mm. and that's a that's a a fascinating productive um, orientation Mm -hmm. so yes you know I'm still a westerner uh, but I have also entered into Australian Indigenous uh, culture. I have begun to understand something of their ways. I have learned things from them, mm-hmm. and in various ways they have enriched me. Yeah. Um, so, so I've had that sort of uh, multiplication experience uh, many, many times, and it's been, you know, absolutely fascinating. Uh, to have experienced that, and and the fact that at such a young age, um, you know, my whole life was turned upside down in terms of my parents migrating to Australia, I I, I think that that was sort of um, almost I don't know iconic for me, or, or, or it prepared me, I guess, in some sort of way, with regard to continuing to make other journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to subcultural groups and also uh, in terms of overseas work. Um, and I, I see this whole uh, journey as having been incredibly enriching, really. Mm-hmm. Charles, so does, that make, does that make sense to, to you in terms of what I'm, what I'm saying? Yeah, really I, was, 
I was just going to ask Charles, does it seems like there there's a big factor within migration of the question of identity and then an even maybe deeper question is who do I belong to or yeah. who do I who do I identify with? I wonder for you personally, but then also maybe in in the in the studies you've done, does it shift? Like does it does it make a difference if somebody uh migrates with their family versus migrating alone. And I'm just thinking of like belonging, identity, mm. like how that how that forms and shapes. Obviously you moved with your family at 10, but then you had later migrations too. So was that different for you as well? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, uh, Nick. So, uh, so as I look at all of the migrations that I have undertaken, they have never ever been alone, except for uh, working in the Bronx and uh, and and working with uh, with hippies in San Francisco. Um, all the other moves that I've made have either been with family or with my wife Rita, uh, or have done or have occurred rather with uh, with with uh, other colleagues and and so on. So. Um, <clears throat> So I'm, I'm. So to some extent, I, I've also been, I guess, somewhat protected in terms of mm. my older version, which has come with me in terms of a, a wider context and simply me. Um, I don't quite know what it would be like if you made that journey completely on your own. I, mm. I, I think that journey would then be much more vulnerable. Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, and maybe all also as a consequence, much more deeply probing in terms of who am I and what am I about and what are my values and um, and what's essential to who I am as a person and so on. Mm-hmm. But, but but whether it's with family or whether it's on your own, uh, the whole concept I think of making various moves. So and, and we're talking under under the heading of migration. I think is an incredibly uh, probing, uh, vulnerable, and exciting kind of a journey mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that one can make. And I personally think that in terms of uh, of being a Christian, um, this is something. Uh, this kind of notion of migration, I, I think, is very much linked also to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that links both to what I would call a theological anthropology, and also linked to the concept of mission and ministry. So let me make a point first of what I mean by a theological anthropology. <clears throat> we uh, we are, uh, I think, basically. Uh, in transit human beings um, or transitional human beings. Uh, Very obviously, that has to do with the concept of ageing is sort of one dimension of that. Mm. Uh, The various um, developmental journeys that we take in terms of um, education or um, relationships, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the kind of moves that we make with regard to careers um, and so on. Uh, all of that suggests that we, we, we're fundamentally people who are on the move. 
rather than seeing ourselves in terms of static terms. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the theological anthropology is you know, focused on, on, you know, who we are as body, spirit beings, and so on, and, uh, and made in the image of God. But we need to be careful that we don't think of ourselves in two static terms fundamentally, mm -hmm. like in terms of dynamic and movement. So, so that's sort of one element. Um, and, uh, and then um, I think theologically and missionally, we need to think about the fact that, um, that we are living in between uh, the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, we're called to be God's missional people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think there's a lot in terms of our understanding of Christianity that can then be linked with the psychology of what's involved in migration. Mm. But of course, there's a huge difference between um, deciding to migrate, like, you know, the move, for example, that, uh, that Rita and I made to work with uh, Indigenous groups in Western Australia. That was a decision that we made. But to be forced to move because of war or famine or whatever, that adds a whole other dimension again. So there's, a, I think, a big difference between you choose to move or you're forced to move. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that the forcing uh, to move brings with it a whole other set of questions. Mm -hmm. Right. That raises in terms, you know. So, so if, if I choose to move, there isn't a sense of, you know, where is God in all of this or whatever. But if I'm forced to move, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, why, why didn't God protect me or, or, mm -hmm. or why did this horrible thing happen? All those kinds of questions and then come into play. Mm -hmm. So they've never been my questions. That's never been my experience. But obviously, you know, I, I mean, we're all very aware of the fact that that has happened to many people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as you say, you know, 80 plus million refugees at this point in time. So, um, and, and let's add to that. Um, in terms of uh, Western uh, major cities, within every four years, 50% of a particular neighborhood changes. Okay? So, so people move. There are, there are, at this point in time, as we speak, more than 60 million Chinese who, who were living outside of China. There, there are 14 million Filipinos out of a population of 100,000 who are working overseas. So, so there are many, many factors with regard to, you know, people moving, um, they want to go to a new neighbourhood, they got a new job, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think fundamentally we need to see ourselves much more as people on the move at all sorts of levels in terms of personal growth, personal development, but also transitions and also um, moving, moving to various places, not just holidays. People relocating. So, for example, here in Australia, as a result of COVID, there have been thousands of people who have relocated to uh, rural towns for all sorts of obvious reasons that we don't need to go into here because, um, you know, uh, people are saying, uh, I, I, um, I want to live a simpler lifestyle. I've, I've re-evaluated. COVID has forced me to re-evaluate. 
in terms of who I am and, and my work and what I want to do and so forth and so on. And I, I no longer want to, you know, live in Sydney and, and spend an hour and a half, you know, one way going to work. So, so world on the move, migration, transition, um, and us being fundamentally transitional persons, I, I, I think is a big theme that we need to think about today. Yeah, yeah. It's helpful, Charles, because you've talked about, so you've talked about it sort of psychologically and anthropologically and theologically and the kind of intersection, but I wonder if you could talk about it biblically as well and help us understand how does scripture, so you said we're a missional people and we're on, you know, on the move and, and those kinds of things kind of theologically as well, but what, is, what does scripture say about migration, and do, can you talk a little bit more about that? Not that we can always pass these things out. I realise we're an integrated theology and biblical. Yeah, yeah. It's all yeah, connected, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. So so I think there are many examples of, uh, you know, people on the move. So we think of, uh, you know, Abraham on the move. Uh, we think about uh, the Exodus uh, in terms of out of Egypt into the promised land. Uh, we, we can think of um, Babylonian captivity, uh, exile, uh, we can think about uh, uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus having to go to Egypt, um, uh, Paul on missionary journeys and so on. So, so the Bible in and of itself uh, is, uh, is a book of, uh, of people on the move. So rather than this concept of, first of all, thinking about uh, temple, we need to think about tabernacle. Rather than this concept of a static God, uh, we need to think about a, a, a God also on the move who moves with his people. It's, 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 it's that kind of fundamental notion, uh, I think, that um, that is very clear. So that's one, one aspect, okay? So we can see many, many um, indications in Scripture where, where movement happens, also because of drought and um, and famine, et cetera, et cetera, and war. Uh, there's also you know, quite a lot of indications in relation to that. But I think the most fundamental movement uh, is in terms of the incarnation. Mm. Hello. <laughs> uh, the, the most amazing migration, if you want to think in those sorts of terms, so yes, so so um, so God comes amongst us uh, in as a migratory God in terms of uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ in the incarnation. Um, so that's migration, if you like. Yeah. Uh, you can also think about our our um, future eschatological um, orientation. Uh, uh, as migration, um, ascension is a form of migration, etc., mm. uh, etc. Et so, so I, I, I really think that what we could do with the concept of migration, in the sense that it's a very fundamental human issue, a contemporary issue, a huge social uh, problem. Mm -hmm. um, also with all sorts of psychological possibilities in terms of, of, of human development and human understanding. But at the same time, I think we can do much more with this theologically yeah. uh, with yeah. regard to thinking about, about the Christian faith in, in migration terms. And, and, and as a result, uh, think about uh, the Christian life then also as this 
migration movement, mm-hmm. you know, putting off the old, putting on the new, uh, the, whole, the whole concept of sanctification has mm-hmm. to do with movement, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and, and even, even the most fundamental uh, theological categories, uh, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. I mean, those even even those fundamental uh, good old reformed concepts mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know the basic structure of our theological thought. Well, it's all about it's all about movement, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So 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 I'm just trying to get away a little bit from a more uh, static understanding. Um, you know the whole idea of. Um, God as security, mm-hmm. and of course, you know a lot, a lot of biblical terms about you know God as you know a rock, a fortress. There's a lot of language uh, in Scripture, uh, including the Psalms, that have to do with issues of security and familiarity and so on. I'm not in any way negating that, but I think uh, we need to uh, think more about the dynamics and the movement dimensions of not only our life, but also of scripture. Mm. And I wonder whether that will help us to get a somewhat different idea of who God is. Mm. Do you think, Charles, I just, I just wonder with that understanding and that framework, even thinking of God as a migrant, migrant, thinking of our life more in transitions rather than static or like, stagnant. Obviously that's that's true, but I wonder how that would shift our perspective. I even think of like um obviously it's much more significant for like the refugee or the migrant because it's like a leaving and an uprooting of another place of home. But yeah. I'm just thinking about when things shift or change in our life, even like growing older or aging, there seems to be like a uh I mean, I feel like it's it's always been but a desire like to not grow old or to not age or like this youthful still desire. And that's very prevalent within uh, uh, a lot of Western culture to, to continue to try and, and be youthful instead of like embracing um, what's coming. I, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on, on that? Like how that would shift even our perspective in general as followers of Jesus that um when when change does come or when even pain does come or things shift uh, yes so so uh, so let me now talk a little bit about you know where i am now so so i've just recently turned 80 and so i i i, I have finally realized that i'm no longer 25 <laughs> and and with awesome. that sort of comes uh, stuff about um having to let go uh, issues of um relinquishment uh, issues of um, uh, feeling a bit more vulnerable, a bit less secure, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, having to make some further transitions as a result of aging. Mm. Now, now with that, I think, comes a very natural psychological impulse towards safety and security. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. But... Um, we have a migrant God. We have, uh, to use that terminology, um, we have a dynamic Christian faith. 
and we have a Holy Spirit who continues uh, to bring in the kingdom and is um, dynamic, yes, supportive, yes, but dynamic nonetheless. And, uh, and so, therefore, um, one of the things that um, uh, I, I have had to come to terms with a number of times. So, so for example, um, we, we worked for about uh, 20 years with street people, drug addicts, men and women in prostitution, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the Philippines, we worked with the poor. Uh, when I came to um, to to uh, Regent uh, to Canada, I thought, you know, you know, maybe maybe the time has come for us, you know, to forget about thinking about, uh, you know, we we've sort of done our our a number of decades in terms of serving the poor, mm-hmm. and um, and just hit us like a ton of brakes. Um, but um, no, no, no. Even at Regent, uh, you need to continue to serve the poor. Hence, we you know relocated from the nice part of town into East Vancouver, and. Um, and I then made all sorts of choices with regard to, now I'm not going to go to that conference because I'm working in my local neighbourhood. Mm. So, so I'm, I'm still on about wrestling with that kind of issue mm. that, um, that, that even at this age, um, that God continues to challenge, to to move us, uh, to be open to other things, open to new possibilities, yeah. uh, and so forth, even, even within growing uh, uh, limitation. Mm. Mm. So, 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 so I, I personally think that, that there is a certain fundamental agitation within being a Christian, and I'm using the word agitation in an absolutely positive sense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You can't just say, "Hey, I've done this." Okay. Right. Like, 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 you can't just say, "Hmm." You know, I've prayed faithfully for thirty years. Uh, <laughs> you know, the last five years of my life, you know, stuff it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I mean, right. it, it, the Christian life is not like that. Yeah. yeah. So there, yeah. There, there is about relinquishment, but there's also on about this this ongoing ongoing movement because god is such a dynamic mm. god and mm. and the way that god interacts with us is fundamentally relational uh profoundly beautiful but also very disturbing if i may say mm. so if that makes sense yeah it does it makes me it makes me wonder too it, it's so refreshing actually talking about it like this. I, I, it's making my mind go in all sorts of different directions. The one direction is saying, yeah, but if we want to be present with our neighbourhoods and we want to be present with the people that we live with, then we need to we need to stay where we are. You know, and there's yeah. even within the church, I think in North America particularly because there's so much movement even between states and, you know, within the states but around the world. So it's like, no, I'm going to take a vow of stability. Like I'm not yeah. going to take that job in the other place. Yeah. But so I... Have you got any thoughts about how those, how you understand those two things together? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Um, and, and this then brings me back to, you know, one of my favourite concepts that I used to drive my students crazy about is, is, is one of the things that we need to accept is, is the concept of um, uh, fundamental philosophical concept of, of dialectic. Mm. Right. So, so, so I believe that we live the Christian life um, with with fundamental, irresolvable, in a healthy sense, tensions. Mm. 
we're in Christ, but we're also in the world. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we make commitments, but we also have to let go. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so as a consequence, um, when I talk about migration and that kind of movement, I am definitely not talking about flitting around all over the place like a madman's breakfast because I haven't had the courage to come to terms with my, my limitations and so forth and so on. So, um, so therefore, even though um, I have moved multiple times, it has always been uh, after about an eight uh, to 10 year commitment in a particular place, right. having embraced the vow of stability. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, so, so it's a matter of both. Um, so, so we need to stay put. Uh, we, we, we need to get to know our neighbours. Uh, we, we need to commit ourselves to a local church. Um, but we, we, we need to be on about a longer journey with people, not just simply the good times or the exciting times when we started something new. We need to, you know, hang in also for the longer haul, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we also need to be open to the possibility of moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's both. It's we yeah. have to live. We have to live both, and in that sense, we can say then that um, that it's not just simply a matter of tabernacle and not temple. It's a matter of temple and tab- tabernacle. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's it, it's a matter of putting down roots and also being open to the possibility of relocation. It, it's living yeah. the Christian life more in that kind of dialectic. I think that we need to. Um, embrace as, yeah. a, as a healthy way of, uh, of living the Christian life. Mm-hmm. So so not at all talking about, you know, flitting around. No, yeah. Right. That's really helpful. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and I think, uh, would, you, would you say, Charles, that even if a person is stays in the same physical location their whole life, like say they grew up on a farm and they grew up in a farmer's family and they, they live there, they stay there, their whole life, they end up farming for the rest of their life. They're in this physical location, but there's still a reality at play uh, of, in some sense, migration of transition of a dynamic mm-hmm. God, because yes. because in their life they'll have transitions, they'll have change, they'll have different things that 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 come their way, even if they don't move from that physical location. There's still that reality there. Correct, and 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 not only not only does that sort of dynamic take place in terms of you know aging or different farming techniques or you know whatever the case may be, um, but it's also um, the let's talk about the farming couple. Uh, there's also the fact that they can uh, open themselves up to um, okay, so what about um, what can I do uh, in terms of uh, supporting people in other parts of the world? Uh, what uh, uh, what organisations can I support? Uh, you know, what 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 else can I do, given the stability in terms of you know where I am? Right. Um, so so in that sense, uh, a farming couple can really open themselves up missionally in a whole variety of ways yeah. uh, with regard to. Um, most basically, I guess, support, but also interest in prayer and so forth and so on. Right. And that also puts you on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're getting to know 
uh, other people overseas, etc., uh, uh, etc., et um, with whom you become involved. And we've got amazing technology that we're experiencing now with regard to you know, getting to know people um, uh, using using uh, communication technology and so forth and so on, which then draws um, the Canadian Alberta farmer into into other parts of the world like yeah. that's a journey too isn't it yeah yeah so in that yeah. sense um the, the concept then of migration in the way that we're talking about it both psychologically and biblically mm. really has to do with um uh, coming to a more open and what i would call an expanded self now, by expanded, I don't mean that in the sense of grandiose. You know, you don't become a more fantastic human being. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But expanded in the sense that you are drawn into other domains of life. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation. But Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know, share it with them, share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm -hmm. Second way, you could, you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the, on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. You've seen as well within this kind of this conversation around migration, you see healing as a part of that of that journey. And um, and you've written a book called The Art of Healing Prayer. But what, what got you interested in, in that and seeing healing as a part of the migration journey? Yeah, well, that's a that's an interesting question. So so let me read to you a passage of scripture. So Psalm 147. Um, uh, verse 3, it, uh, it speaks there uh, that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, having worked for, you know, several decades with uh, drug addicts, etc., etc., in terms of a healing ministry, uh, that particular passage and, and other passages, I could refer to a lot of other passages, but, but I think this is of interest, um, let us then to, to realize that really um, our journey with, with drug-addicted youth was really a healing journey. Mm. And our orientation was uh, uh, we weren't medicos, so our orientation was healing within the context of therapeutic Christian community. Mm. Uh, so we worked on the basis that community, community, um, Christian community 
um, could be a resource for healing for persons uh, in the drug scene, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of started us off. And of course, you know, we started off on the wrong note because we just thought that we were just there to help others. And then <laughs> within the context of community living with pretty broken people who are vulnerably uh, honest and quite amazing, um, we then began to realise that we were also somewhat <laughs> broken people. So, uh, so the first discovery for us was was um, uh, we weren't as together as we thought we we were, right? Bummer. So, so it also it also began to be a healing healing journey for us, mm. which which was a wonderful thing. Um, <clears throat> now. Now, people, people in the drug scene, et cetera, et cetera, they've also experienced a lot of trauma, uh, quite a bit of it self-inflicted, but, uh, but trauma nonetheless. Mm -hmm. so, so we then began to think about, uh, so, so what about, is there something um, in terms of the sacramental ministry of the church that has to do with anointing with oil, healing prayers, um, the Eucharist, living in community, counselling, you know, all of that kind of, you know, could that, could that, can we begin to think about all of that? So, so that's the kind of journey that we were on, okay? Mm -hmm. now, now, where the link came um, in terms of that and migration, et cetera, et cetera, has to actually do with um, the Psalm 147 verse 3, because um, the words... Uh, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds is preceded by the words, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. Wow. So there's a recognition then in this psalm that people who are outcasts, people who are what we might call forced migration, mm -hmm. have experienced forced migration, are people who are probably wounded and bruised in very, very particular ways. Mm. And God's restorative love for them is such uh, that he wants to bring about a healing and so on and restoration. Mm. Mm. So that's the kind of um, mm. somewhat, uh, strange um, journey <laughs> yeah. that we've been on in terms of uh, seeing seeing. Uh, the, the connections mm -hmm. between, um, on the one hand, um, migration that is positive for people in terms of development, et cetera, et cetera, but also migration that is bruising and wounding right. for people. Yeah. And then the theme then of, you know, what does restoration look like and so forth and so on. So Mary Dickow and I then, then wrote this book uh, on the, the art of healing prayer, uh, simply to suggest one way of, of praying healing prayers for people who had been, I guess, forced to migrate, forced to move, or mm. suffered from various forms of trauma and so forth and so on, mm. Mm. Uh, with regard to drawing on the Christian sacramental tradition, mm. which, by the way, I think is basically gone out the window. 
Mm. And and I think I think COVID has helped that as well. I mean uh, I mean we are so uh, amazed by what um, medical science has done, and thanks be to God for that. I mean that's been amazing provision. Uh, but but it's interesting. For example, so here in Australia, I've been following this fairly closely with regard to the whole COVID thing. The voice of the church has not been heard during the during the two and a half years of COVID here. Nothing in terms of a significant voice with regard to what the Christian church is able to do mm-hmm. with regard to its sacramental life in terms of also bringing about healing and restoration in other ways alongside of what COVID uh, can, um, what the medical science has been able to do in relation mm-hmm. to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we need to we need to recover. We need to recover uh, the importance of community. We need to recover the importance of sacramental life. We need to recover uh, our very very rich tradition of of the church being a healing community. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I want to talk more about uh, the different ways that you've seen healing come. Um, specifically through prayer, but then you also mentioned your book, Community, and a few others. But I first wonder, uh, on the topic of prayer and praying these sacramental prayers over people, you know, anointing with oil, as Scripture says, yeah. how are—I I, I just have a question with this, because how are we to distinguish, like, the difference between actually saying these prayers as, as a prayer, as an offering, as an asking— unto God for healing for ourselves, for this person, for our community, as opposed to like, just like magic words, or like, if I just say these words, then God, God will heal. I guess you have thoughts on that. I've, I've kind of wrestled with that a few times of like, cause I have prayed different prayers of like just reading a prayer and it, and I do think it's been significant and powerful, my own journey with the Lord, but then with others. But then I also wonder too, sometimes like, do I just need to say these words mm. and the Lord will the Lord will hear my prayer? You know, do you have thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, yes, I yes, I do. So, first of all, um, the um what what I regard as being very unfortunate is that within certain uh, elements of uh, the Pentecostal tradition, there is this sort of this magic use of words, you know, the name it and claim it uh, kind of theology. Uh, which is also linked in with the prosperity gospel and, and you know, um, God's only on about giving you goodies and you know, you're never going to suffer or sacrifice or anything like that. So, so, so that's a very, very unfortunate um, a, a sort of aspect that, uh, that seems to be in certain elements of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> The way that the way that I come at uh, the, the very good question that you're asking, Nick, <clears throat> um, has to do with coming at it theologically. And uh, you know, we can cite Karl Barth or Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, or Emil Gruner, <clears throat> in terms of the very very strong link between word and spirit. Right. Okay. So so let's let's think about that. So if it is true that word and spirit should belong together, so we don't want to think about the Holy Spirit without the word because that can end up in all sorts of funny little um, mystical side eddies. Mm. 
we think about word only, and that can be a more um, doctrinaire kind of rational orientation. But let's bring let's bring the two together. Mm. What 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 if uh, <clears throat> what if the spirit, the Holy Spirit, inhabits the word? And if we think in those sorts of terms, mm-hmm. uh, then and and I think I think we can build a case with regard to the important link between word and spirit. Mm. We, could, we haven't got time to do that now, but, but you, you can do that biblically. Then, then I think that if we if we come with that kind of an understanding, <clears throat> then what happens is that we then see uh, scripture the way we read it or scripture in the way that we speak it, um, uh, whether that be in preaching or whether that be in counselling or whether that be in terms of healing prayers, um, then then we see that in pneumatological terms. The spirit is also there um, empowering um, bringing life, um, bringing it home to people in a way that we we don't really understand, right? Mm. It's it's beyond us. So 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 it's not it's not a rational word movement, but it is it is a, a Holy Spirit inspired word kind of movement. Yeah, and uh, and and I'm I'm personally comfortable with that. Um, so so I don't know whether that's helpful in mm. terms of the issue that you're asking. Yeah, I I guess I'm thinking when I when I read some of your book, and then also when I think of even some of the passages where Jesus is healing either a paralytic or uh, casting out a demon, or or same with um, the apostles and and how they go about their prayers seem to be a lot more bold than mine. And so I, I wonder, like, mm. I, I feel sometimes that I'm not willing to, to like dictate what God does. You know, I, I find sometimes like, I don't want, I don't know if I want to pray this prayer. Cause I don't know if first of all, it's God to answer it. And I don't want to basically tell him what to do. Um, yeah. Can you give an example? Like, if you were going to pray for somebody, what, like, what would you pray over them? Say either, either somebody who has drug addiction or somebody who even, even is physically ill or ill, like, um, or say they have a, I know this is a lot, but say they have a, like a, a long-term, uh, illness too. Like there's, there's that as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. Do yeah. you have thoughts? Uh, well, um, in terms of uh, uh, the book that, that uh, Mary and I have written in terms of the art of healing prayer, <clears throat> we, um, we, we do not do anything that we haven't previously discussed with the person. Mm. <clears throat> so, uh, so there's a very, very uh, long uh, preparation for the actual act of mm-hmm praying in a particular way with and for a person. And the emphasis is not just praying for, but praying with and for a person. Mm. But that's been preceded by um, by a, a quite a significant uh, a preparation phase. So, so, so in other words, um, it, it's, not, it's not just dumping something on a person. It's something that a person is also... 
willing to acknowledge in terms of issues and concerns. It also has to do with something that they're longing for. Mm. So it's much more a coming together, yeah. right, rather than the classic doctor-patient kind of relationship or the psychologist, psychiatrist, client relationship. We don't work in those sorts of terms whatsoever. Mm. So it's a very different model. So again, yeah. again, see, see, part of the problem is, is that we have got in our um, secular culture, we have got dominant models mm-hmm. of, um, of, of how we operate. And, and one of the risks that we always take um, have to face as Christians is that, that those models have become also so generic to who we are and how we think and how we operate uh, that we don't uh, think about them in a Christian way and maybe reframe them in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when we think about healing prayers, we're, we're not operating on the concept of psychiatrist and client. Mm-hmm. We're simply operating on the concept of coming alongside of. Yeah. yeah. Which, is, which is, if I may remind you, um, the fundamental meaning of the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, mm-hmm. is called alongside of. It's... it's so, so, so there's a lot of fundamental rethinking that lies at the back of, uh, of, of uh, what that particular book is about. Mm. And I think we need to constantly wrestle with that. Um, I, I, I happen to believe that, that the Bible uh, is a very, very radical book. It is very, very different. Um, uh, to uh, to so much of contemporary ideology and, and and structural thinking and so forth and so on. I think it's highly revolutionary, mm. um, but I think we have not done enough uh, thinking um, about the way in which we have been impacted by the major contours of contemporary culture, and I don't think we have done enough thinking about how, how scripture can can move us to begin to think quite differently mm-hmm. and 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 therefore i i personally think if i may make this point that we need to become disrupted selves in order to think differently and more creatively and that then links in again with the concept of migration let, let me give you a very simple example yeah. You know, the fact, the fact that my wife and I have lived and worked for many, many decades now in Asia has so changed uh, so many dimensions of our Western thinking, mm. which has then helped us to, to look at the Bible in different ways and has opened up ways of theological and biblical understanding that we would never have seen if we had simply remained grounded in a Western middle-class way of life. Do you understand mm. what I'm saying here? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, so that's the kind of journey that I think I'm on. And mm. actually, I think that that's the kind of journey we all need to be on about because we're transitional creatures, right? Right. right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about what what ways have you seen healing come through prayer? So what have you what have you seen? Whether you've got a s- stories or what are some of the different ways that you've seen kind of healing manifest itself as you've prayed with people? Yeah. Okay. So um, so I I, I I won't tell particular stories because there's there's something incredibly sacred about yes. about that coming alongside of. Um, but but the most uh, the most dominant way in which people have been wounded has been in terms of relationships with others. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just using the word dominant. That's a that's a that's a, a a very frequently reoccurring theme. That that it has been relational wounding that has been. Um, yeah, fairly prevalent. Mm-hmm. Now, now I think we have a lot in Scripture that that uh, that opens then up for us issues of um, uh, my reaction, uh, issues of um, disappointment, uh, issues of betrayal, um, all all. All, all of that kind of language then comes into play, and then and and then then there's the journey of um, of uh, forgiveness. Uh, there is uh, the journey of um, of of uh, healing. So so in terms of the emotional wounding, uh, I think it is appropriate for us to pray prayers to ask both the Word of God and the Holy Spirit uh, to enter those spaces in terms of bringing about about peace, mm. for example. Mm. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but but look, it's it's um, yeah. I, I, I would say I would say that would be that would be the the most yeah. dominant yeah. theme, and and our orientation towards the sacramental life. Is not first and foremost oriented like I've got this problem and I'm coming to God just to fix up my little problem. You know, that's a little bit like I need a parking place, you know, and so I'm asking God, you know, that that, that there might be a parking place in the supermarket for me. That's that that's a, that's a very very uh, Western way of thinking about our relationship with God. The 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 um. The much more fundamental issue in healing prayer and the whole issue of the sacramental life has to do with a far more fundamental healing hmm. than simply a particular problem. Yeah, yeah. And that then brings us into the whole domain, like, hello, you know. Our theology is good, justification and sanctification leading to glorification. I mean, so 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 we're in the we're in the sanctification realm. That's where we are, mm. and 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 I think that's where we need to be thinking about what healing, prayer, and restoration, and so on could look like. Yeah, I think I think Charles, this whole conversation 
makes me recognize why you entitled your book the way you did. You didn't just entitle it uh, Healing Prayer, but the art of healing prayer and how art isn't formulaic. It's uh, it's creative. It's yeah. dynamic. It's Correct. changing. Yep. So I got absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, the sad thing is, is that um, uh, that kind of ministry, the more sacramental ministry is, is um, I, I think, has become a bit lost in the contemporary Western church. Mm. And I think, I think we need to be thinking about uh, healing in a much broader sense in, in terms of somehow bringing that back into the life of the church in, in a more um, uh, sustained way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Charles, in, in one of our other podcasts, you talked about this thing called pub theology, and I, yeah. and I wondered how that was going and um, if you want to let us know what's happening with that at the moment. Briefly, yes. Well, like everything else, uh, pub theology has been very much affected by COVID. And uh, we have not, we have done some, you know, uh, podcasts in terms of, uh, you know, or, or YouTube presentations, that kind of thing. Um, but, but we happen to uh, believe that uh, uh, theology on tap, pub theology, um, has to do with both being in a pub and being together. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't know. There's something about, there, there is, I'm, I'm sorry to say, there is something about people being together, um, eating some potato wedges, um, chicken wings, having a beer, um, and then and then having music and having a presenter and having a time of Q and A and being able to chat afterwards and if they wanted to have a main meal at the pub, so so it's a sort of a from four o'clock when we start to seven thirty kind of an event. Mm. Yeah. So so it's about it's about also bringing people together. Um, and and that's about that's about relationality. That's about the Trinity. That, mm. That's about community. That's that's and 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 also creates uh, spaces for conversation. And I think if there's anything that we need in the contemporary Western world, for goodness' sake, is we need to create spaces where people can have a civil, open. Uh, freewheeling conversation with each other yeah. instead of immediately putting each other into our ridiculous boxes and shutting each other down. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's so sad to see, um, you know, the way in which the Christian church, um, um, not only in North America, not only in the USA, but elsewhere too, mm. quite, quite polarised. We've got our little boxes. We're so jolly insecure that we're trumpeting our little boxes all the time. Mm. So, right. so, 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 so we need to we, we need to create, I believe, all within the life of the church, uh, much more open spaces where where conversation and so on can happen. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and therefore theology on tap. So, yeah, so we're still going. Yep. And um, so if you if you Google uh, theology on tap Brisbane, then you can see all the all the presentations that are there. Mm. And uh, it's it's amazing the uh, the richness that is there in terms of what we unfortunately call the Christian laity. Mm-hmm. And I may remind, so if there are any um, students who were at Regent when I was around, um, you may remember a, a little uh, event that we used to run on, on a regular basis, uh, which was called Lunch in a Paper Bag. So what we used to do was that uh, every... Uh, every couple of weeks, we would have an event where um, a student would give a presentation mm. during the lunch hour, and, and you'd bring your lunch and your coffee, and we would hear from them and not just simply from our professors. Now, listen, Regent is such an incredibly rich community mm. uh, that we need to hear not only from our esteemed professors, but we also need from here from our very, very esteemed students, and we would learn a lot if we did that. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I've got a I've got a pencil here. <laughs> Lunch in a paper bag. Why have I never heard of that? It's so good. Yeah, well, well, we did it. Oh, it's so good. It sounds great. Charles, thank you so much for your time. We could we could keep talking for hours. Alas, we yeah. won't. No, no. I think we've done an hour, which is which is not bad. Is it? Pretty good, yeah. But thanks, yeah. Thanks so much for taking time, yeah. and really appreciate just all the thoughts you've generated. And I'm sure it's going to kind of stimulate other conversations and other questions. So we might get you back once we get more. Well, a few well more questions. first of all, thank you, thank you for your questions. It's good. Yeah. I, I've really appreciated it. And um, if we want to have Another round at some time? Uh, Just let me know. Let's do it again. That's great. Thanks so much, Charles. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.